right, church, we'll go ahead, open up your Bibles to Ephesians 5. That will be our main uh, passage where we'll be at this morning. Uh, But before we even get to there, I wanted to inform you guys as to what was happening to you physically as you were singing those first couple of songs. Now, I know not everyone was singing, but many of you were singing, and for those of you who were singing, there were some physical things that were happening to you and that happened to us as human beings when we sing. All right, one thing that happens when we sing is that our oxytocin levels increase in our body. All right, oxytocin, it's a neuropeptide. It's typically, uh, it typically is, is talked about uh, when a woman goes into labor. Uh, increased levels of it can help induce labor. It can help bonding with a mother and baby. Uh, but oxytocin levels also increase in us at, at other times in life, and one of those times being when we sing. And an increased oxytocin level actually helps us regulate stress, helps us regulate anxiety, and helps us socially bond with those who we are singing with. With. Singing with others has actually been found to unite people, both emotionally and physically, for lots of reasons and in a lot of different ways. There was actually researchers in Sweden who monitored a choir, and they monitored the heart rates before and then when they started singing. And before they started singing, everyone's heart rate was very different, beating at different times and all of that. But when the choir started singing, what they found was that the majority of the heartbeats all started to get at the, on the same rate and started to beat at the same time. Their hearts were united and started beating together. When, you're, when you sing, a few other things happen. When you sing, your body also takes in an increased level of oxygen, all right? It fills your lungs in ways that just speaking or breathing regularly doesn't. And so when we sing, we get an increased level of oxygen. It's great for lung health, but not only is it great for our lungs, but then it gets distributed all throughout our body, including our brain, which is why it's been shown that when we sing, that helps increase our productivity as well as our focus. And not only that, but singing also helps our immune system. It helps our immune system. What happens when we sing is that we get an increased level of what's called salivary immunoglobulin A, which coats our respiratory and GI tract and serves as a first-line defense against bacterial and viral infections. And they've studied choirs, and they've measured the level of this immunoglobulin before and after they've started singing. And after they've sung, they've found an increase of this, this immunoglobulin by 240%, a 240% increase. And these, these are just a few of kind of the many physical benefits that happen when we sing. And, and those alone, I don't know about you guys, but those alone get me excited to sing some more. And so don't worry, we are going to sing some more this morning before we start feasting. Uh, we, will, we will have a chance to do that. But listen, church, all those physical benefits are not ultimately why we sing when we gather together as the people of God. It's ultimately not about that. And, and as I was reflecting on these last four years of gathering together, it dawned on me that when we gather, we do spend a lot of time singing together. In fact, if there are 52 Sundays uh, in a year, and we've been gathering for four years, and we spend about 30 minutes of that time each week singing, then Franklin City Church has spent over 100 hours singing together. 100 hours. And my question for us is, is this the best use of our time? I mean, seriously, 
I mean, this is like a big part of what we do when we gather. Is, is this really a necessary part of beholding God? Look with me at Ephesians 5, verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15. God's word says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, this passage in Ephesians has much farther reaching application than just singing. But this morning, I want to specifically look at this passage from God's word and apply it to our singing. And so the question is, are we making the best use of our time together in our gatherings? Are, are, I mean, is a hundred hours of singing together the best use of the time? Or, or what about this? Here's a suggestion. What about if we listen to worship music on the drive-in, and then that frees up more time for preaching when we're together? What do you guys think? You guys aren't going, okay, all right, I'm just asking. I'm just throwing out some ideas, all right? Now, now let, me, let me explain what we're doing this morning. Typically here, we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. We've just finished a year of preaching through the book of Hebrews. And so before we jump back into another book, each of the pastors here is going to take a portion of our mission statement and help us grow and mature in what we believe God is calling us to as a church. In our mission statement here, it's nothing original. It's nothing really that creative. Uh, most churches should have a very similar mission statement because it's from Scripture, okay? And so ours is stated this way, that we exist by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to behold God, to build up the body of Christ, and to bless the city and the world. Behold, build, bless. And we believe that all three of these must be pursued in order to be a healthy local church, and that they also must be prioritized in that order in order to be a healthy local church. And so next week we'll talk about what does it look like to build up the body of Christ. The week after that we will talk about what does this look like to be a blessing to the city and the world. But this morning our emphasis is on beholding God. Beholding God. Well, first, what do we mean when I say and when we say we exist to behold God. To behold, to behold means to see or perceive something or someone with intelligence and by experience. Most simply put, it means to, to gaze at, to stare at, but it's not a mindless gazing, right? No, we believe the Bible calls us to behold God, meaning to look and gaze upon him and his word in order to know and experience him more. That's what we want to do. That's what we believe we're called to, to put the glory of God, to put his word front and center so that we might know him as a people and we might experience him more and that we might worship him. Yes, we're going to get to talking about blessing the city and the world, building up the body of Christ, but we have to first be beholders of God. We are called to be worshipers of him, to, to, to glorify him. And so when we gather, the main priority is to put him front and center, to put his word front and center, his glory front and center. And it is as we gaze and behold him that we believe we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another where we will become more and more like Christ. And thus far in the life of this local church, I believe we have demonstrated our commitment to preaching God's word as one way of beholding God. 
right? We do, we do value preaching God's word, and I believe we've shown and demonstrated that to you. I believe we have demonstrated how we behold God through participating regularly in the Lord's Supper and baptism. Do that very regular here. It's a way that we come to know and experience God more. I believe this last year especially, we have grown in our growing, in our understanding and our beholding God through prayer. Right? We're seeing prayer take much more of an emphasis, whether it be at City Group or this gathering or other gatherings. We want to be a praying people and see and know God more through prayer. But this morning, this morning, it is time for us to see how we behold God through singing to God and to one another. And I apologize if it's taken four years for us to explain why we sing so much when we're together. But this morning's the morning. How can we behold God more through singing to him and singing to one another? Look with me now at Ephesians 5, verse 18, picking it up in verse 18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, two commands here. First is to not get drunk, meaning to not be controlled or dominated by alcohol or any other substance, right? But instead of that, the second command is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be, to be, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be, to be uh, directed and led by the Holy Spirit. Now, in your city groups, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, you've already seen that in Christ we have been sealed with the Spirit, right? Up on the screen we'll have Ephesians 1 verse 13. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Alright, so in Christ, we cannot lose the Spirit. We've been sealed by the Spirit, but now Paul is coming to the Ephesians and he's teaching them something else about the Spirit. Yes, the Spirit already indwells us, he already seals us, but this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is something else something else. And in the original Greek, it's written in a present imperative tense. And what that means is, is that the filling of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event, but it is something that regularly and continuously needs to be happening like a gas tank getting filled up with gas. And so what we learn here is that we need to be continually filled up with the Spirit. It's been said by others that, that listen, we, we have all the Spirit, but does the Spirit have all of us? Right? We need the Spirit to be, we need to be full of the Spirit in every aspect of our lives and how we engage our relationships. Are we being controlled and led by the Spirit in how we, how we handle our relationships? Are we being controlled and led by the Spirit in how we work our jobs and our vocations? Are we being led and controlled by the Spirit in how we engage politics, in how we serve and love our neighbors? Like, is this, is it the Spirit have all of us in every aspect of our life? We need to be filled by the Spirit so that it would be the spirit controlling and leading us in every aspect of our life. And so again, it's not as if a believer loses the spirit and you need to get them back. That's not the filling. No, if you are in Christ, you have the spirit. He indwells you, but you do need to be continually filled up by him. He needs to have the full place of importance in every aspect of your life. It is the spirit that we look to to control us and lead us. 
And so the question is, are we filling our minds and hearts with the things of the Spirit? We have to see our need for this. We need to be filling our hearts and minds with the things of the Spirit. And one of the ways that we are filled with the Spirit is when we are putting into our hearts and minds the Word of God. When we are setting our minds on the things above. When we are abiding with Christ. We are being filled by the Spirit. Yes, in Christ we've been sealed, but we have a need to be continually filled. And look then what the result of this filling is, should be at least, in verse 19, of being filled with the Spirit. He goes on to say in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Church, here we are shown that those who are filled with the Spirit and who are being continually filled with the Spirit should respond by singing to God and to one another. And so the answer to the question of why do we sing, the, 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 the simple answer is because God commands it. And really that should be enough. All right? So I'll pray for the food. Happy four years. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I know I've got your attention because you're waiting for the food. You can't leave until we are done, right? And so, listen, God commands it. And, and so I'm going to keep going because actually the command to sing to God is one of the most repeated commands we see in Scripture. Yes, we know that Jesus, you know, when he was asked what the greatest command was, he said it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But two of the most repeated commands in the Bible are do not be afraid and sing. Do not be afraid and sing. It's almost as if God knew we would need to be reminded of those things. Because we see this repetition all throughout the scriptures. Do not be afraid, sing. And in fact, the church throughout history has at times lost sight of this, and people have forgotten this command to sing to God and to sing to one another. From the year of our Lord 500 to the year 1500, for about a thousand years, congregational singing was largely lost in the church. What was happening was that the Lord's Supper, as well as the the, the singing, was being delegated to the clergy. And it was being done in a language the people didn't know. And they were content to have the clergy sing for them on beha- uh, sing to God on behalf of them and to take the Lord's Supper on behalf of them. And so one of the most beautiful parts of the re- and the most significant parts of the Reformation was that Martin Luther, what did he start doing? Yeah, I mean, yes, he was nailing things to walls and he was picking fights and all that stuff, but he started writing songs in the language of the people and they started singing. They started singing in the Reformation. They started getting and hearing God's word through preaching and through singing. And as they heard the word, as they were filled with the Spirit, it overflowed into all these songs of thanksgiving. The church started singing. We had forgotten for about a thousand years to sing. But then when we started singing, the Spirit lit the flame, and the word of God went forth with power all over the globe. 
In fact, any revival or reformation that has happened throughout church history has been accompanied with people remembering God's command to sing. During the Westland Revival, Charles Wesley wrote 6,000 hymns. I thought for sure that was a typo. I checked multiple sources. 6,000 hymns. And so church, it is very concerning and it is a sign of some serious unhealthiness and lack of being filled by the Spirit when people stop truly singing to the Lord from the heart and are content to delegate that to the professionals on stage. And don't we see this happening in some churches today? Isn't this a real danger even here for us today? Now, I'm not proposing that we get rid of musicians or people leading us from stage. I mean, now we know that we can't operate, you know, a bunch of uh, bounce houses and snow cone machines and Joshua's electric guitar, all right? We've learned that. But that wasn't me pulling the plug on musicians, all right? All right, I think when done rightly, and I think we're on a really good track here, I think when done rightly, what's happening up here can enhance and help us as a congregation sing to God and to one another. And I think we need to continue to raise up and train people who are gifted musically, but we need to do it in a way and with an understanding that we are raising them up to lead us and not perform for us. Do not start putting the weight on people up here to perform for you or to sing for you. They are up here to lead you. And us who are not as musically gifted, we need people leading us to find the right tone and key and time. But we must never, church, be content to let the musical people in the church do what God has commanded all of us to do. There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible and about 50 different direct commands to sing. All right, and I will let you on your own this afternoon. Go through those, okay? But let me hit hit you with a few. Psalm 5 verse 11 says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Psalm 33, verse 3, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalm 105, verse 2, sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. All throughout the Bible, church, we are commanded to sing. But here's how good our God is, all right? Here is how good our God is. His commands are always blessings. His commands are always, he's not a cruel God. His commands are blessings. These are actually him showing us how he created us and how life works best. And he gives us his commands. And when we obey these commands, they are blessings to us because God knows how life works best. And so, yes, we've already seen, right? There's some physical blessings to singing. But there's so many more blessings to singing than just the physical. Because, you see, we were created by God to worship and glorify him. And when we do, when we are exalting him, we also find a great personal satisfaction and joy because we are doing what we were created to do. 
singing to God is a way that we enjoy him more fully. C.S. Lewis, he once wrote this. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. I mean, isn't this true, right? If you visit just the best restaurant and have just the best steak, isn't there something that completes the joy in you to go and tell someone else about it? Right? Doesn't that just complete your joy to, to, to proclaim the glory that you've just experienced? And church, it's been said by many others, listen, our God is too great to just talk about. We have to sing about him. We have, he's, he's too great just to talk about. We have to sing about him. And as we do, it brings him glory and it completes our joy. His command to sing is in fact a great blessing to us when we obey it. Because not only is our singing bringing him glory and us joy, but our singing is accomplishing some things in the spiritual realm that we need to appreciate and understand. All right, so look back at Ephesians 5, verse 16, and I want you to see how singing is spiritual warfare. All right, singing is spiritual warfare. Ephesians 5, verse, 6, uh, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. All right, there is an acknowledgement of evil here. That the reason why it's important to be walk as wise and not as unwise, the reason why it's important to make the best use of the time is because we do have enemies. Satan, sin, and death are real enemies that we have. So be wise, make the best use of the time. He doesn't tell them then to go get a planner and get organized. What does he tell them to do? He tells them to sing. And then he tells them to submit to one another. And then he takes a brief rabbit trail to explain in Ephesians what submitting to one another looks like in the household. But then turn with me to chapter 6, verse 10, because he comes back to this idea of us now having an enemy and goes into painting this wartime picture of a soldier putting on the whole armor of God. And so I know we just parachuted into Ephesians this morning, all right? But this command to sing, we have to see that it is sandwiched between him teaching us we have an enemy and also him telling us we need to be dress ourselves for battle. And singing is right there. And all throughout Scripture, we see this pattern of people singing and God fighting the enemy. In the Old Testament, we see times, right, where the choir is sent before the soldiers, where the people of God sing and God sets an ambush for the enemy. And that, that fact just blows our mind, that, that the choir would go before the soldiers, right? That's a foreign concept to us. But what that is showing us is that there is an unseen reality. There is a spiritual war that has to be fought. And God is ultimately the one working to rescue his people and to defeat the enemy. But he oftentimes does this alongside his people singing and proclaiming his word. Look with me at Psalm 8. We'll have it up on the screen. You don't need to turn there. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And you can leave that, Sarah, up on the screen for a little bit. All right, the babies and infants in this psalm are the people of God who are weak and helpless. 
compared to our majestic, strong, and glorious God. Right? The people of God, we are like babies. We are, in, in, in comparison to God, we are weak and helpless, and yet the means that we see God using to accomplish his ends is his word coming out of the mouth of his weak and helpless people. Isn't that amazing? When we speak and sing his word, the enemy is hindered. When we speak and sing his word, that is an offensive weapon to kill the sin in our hearts and to keep the enemy on the run. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp and a light. Church, darkness cannot exist where the light is. Where the light is. And when we speak and sing his word, we shine the light of the world into that place and the present darkness runs. Church, we do have an enemy. He is a disarmed enemy. But we have an enemy. And the enemy would love for us to stop singing the praises of God. The enemy would love for us to stop singing. The enemy would love for you to view the songs we sing as just an opening act to the sermon. Just a warm-up. It's not really important. We just kind of do it so people can find their seat, right? The enemy would love for you to view our songs that way. Is it a coincidence that the songs we sing and the style we sing them in have been such a great source of division in the church in the last few decades, so much so that people in their pride have been unable to sing together? Is that a coincidence? Is it a coincidence when you are struggling the most that you are deceived into thinking that coming to sing with brothers and sisters is the last thing that would be good for you? Is it a coincidence that the Christian music and worship industry has become a Trojan horse to bring bad theology and heresy into the church? Is it a coincidence that many modern-day worship songs are weak songs instead of war songs? Is it a coincidence that Christians in their spiritual apathy have become content to delegate their singing to a few professionals on stage? The answer is no. And church, we need to understand the schemes of the enemy. We need to understand the schemes of the enemy. Look at, look at Ephesians 6, verse 12, all right? Ephesians 6, verse 12, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the unseen realm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And then what should we do? We should sing the truth as you put on your belt for war. You should sing of Christ's righteousness as you put on your breastplate. You should sing of the gospel as you get your battle shoes ready. You should sing and watch your, strength, uh, your faith be strengthened as you take up your shield. You should sing of our salvation as the helmet gets put on. And you should pick up the sword, which is the word of God, and our only offensive weapon, and you should get ready to use it. All right? You need to come to sing like you've still got sin that needs to be killed and an enemy that needs to be crushed. 
Romans 16, verse 20, Paul writes to the church, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Your feet. The body of Christ. Your feet. Jesus told us that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against us. Jesus has bound the strong man and we are plundering his kingdom. And every time we gather to worship, we gather to launch an offensive attack against the lies and deceit of the enemy. Every song we sing is like a battering ram at the gates of hell. Every truth we proclaim is like launching a catapult at the walls of hell. Of course the enemy doesn't want you to sing. He'll do anything he can to keep us from singing. But we do not fear his schemes, and we will expose his lies. And we will continue to sing to God and to one another. Amen? Amen. Just even suggesting, listening to worship music on the way here almost made me throw up, but I tried to, tried to do it. Of course we need to keep singing together, church. And I know you know that. But I want us to really believe that with a whole heart. And I want us to come and, and, and make the best use of the time. I don't want us to just sing mindlessly and just because that's what we do. Singing is certainly a part of spiritual warfare. We must keep singing to God and to one another. Look back at Ephesians 5, last half of verse 19. God's word says, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, here we see that God is the primary audience when we sing. It's the primary audience when we sing. And this should make all of us tone-deaf people in the room, myself included, this should make us be able to breathe a sigh of relief. So all of you other tone-deaf people, just let's just breathe. God is the primary audience. And singing to him is a matter of the heart. We can't fake it, right? We can't, like true singing, you can't just fake it and just go through the motions. No, true singing comes from the heart, and we are to sing with hearts that are full of gratitude to God, hearts that desire to give thanks to Him. And so this is important. Listen, God is the primary audience we are singing to, and the only reason we can sing to Him at all is through what verse 20 says. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's only because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us that we can sing to God songs of thanksgiving. For Jesus, on the night he was betrayed and handed over to be crucified, after he instituted what we now call the Lord's Supper, and before he went to pray on the Mount of Olives, what did he do? Matthew 26, 30 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus, in preparing to give the death blow to the enemy on the cross, in preparing to die on the cross for our sins, yes, he prayed. Yes, he had the meal, what's now called the Lord's Supper. And he also sang. He sang. And church, in our sin, we did not have much to sing about. But because Jesus Christ took our sin and shame up on the cross and into the grave, and because three days later he rose from the dead, he has given us a reason to sing. 
He has given us a reason to sing. He has taken our sin and he has given us his song. For our God is a singing God. The, the prophet Zephaniah, he received the word of the Lord during the reign of Josiah. What was happening with Josiah? Josiah was leading a reformation. He was leading a reformation in Judah. He was, he was leading people away from their pagan practices and back to the right worship of God. And so the word of the Lord comes through Zephaniah in Zephaniah 3 verse 14. And what is he instructing him to do? What, what do all good reformations have? Zephaniah 3 verse 14. It's a command to sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. But then he goes on to verse 17 to show that, hey, God calls us to join in his singing. Our God is a singing God. Verse 17 says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Church, God has taken our sin and he has given us his song. For our God is a singing God, and in Jesus Christ, we have much to sing about. Our, our, our lives at times, we, we sometimes have some stuff we're going through when we come in here, all right? And, and there's reality to that. We try to sing some songs that are at times a bit heavier and can allow us to express some lament and grieving and things like that. But we also want to always come in and celebrate as well, because church, in Jesus Christ, we have every reason in the world to sing and to praise God. And it is through Jesus Christ that we have the great privilege to join with God and sing of his glory and his goodness and grace with hearts that are overflowing with thanksgiving and gratitude for what Christ has done. And while, yes, God is the primary audience here, I don't want you to miss this. I want you to see that there is a very real secondary audience that we are commanded to sing to as well. Look back at verse 19, Ephesians 5, verse 19. There's a secondary audience here. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So church, there is, there is nothing wrong with singing to God by yourself. All right? Sing to him in the shower. Sing to him in the car. Sing to him in your quiet time. You should do that. That's all good. I'm not against singing by yourself to God. Great thing to do. But that's not what this passage of Scripture is instructing us to do. Paul is telling the Ephesians to sing to one another as they sing to God. This is getting at the same truth that's found in Psalm 149, verse 1 which says, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Perfectly fine to sing by yourself, all right? Perfectly fine. But that is not what we do when we come in here on a Sunday morning. This is not your own little personal quiet time between you and Jesus when you come in here this morning. When you come in here on a Sunday morning, you come to join the choir, we are, yes, first singing to God, but we are also singing to one another. And by doing this, we are submitting ourselves to one another, like the text says, when we sing, because we are doing it in such a way that we recognize God is our top priority, our brothers and sisters are our next priority, and we are last. Worship is not about you. 
And we, we shouldn't have to keep reminding ourselves this, but I don't, I need it, all right? Worship is not about you. Now, it has benefits for you. I don't deny that. There are some huge benefits for you, but it is not about you. And so listen, if you are coming in here and you are singing a bit timidly, maybe you're a bit self-conscious of your voice. I, I get that. My, my voice is not great. But if, if you are so self-conscious and thinking about yourself so much that that causes you to sing very timidly or not at all, then you are not helping the brother or sister that is sitting next to you. Because church, listen, I know this from personal experience. There are weeks that I come in here that I do not always feel like worshiping. Maybe I shouldn't have admitted that. I don't know. I don't always feel like preaching. But then I come in here and I hear God's truth being sung over me and to me by my brothers and sisters. And I'm telling you, something happens. Something happens. Doesn't mean everything's perfect or right all the time, but listen, I go throughout the whole week and I'm hearing the song of the enemy, the lies and the deceit of the enemy, and I come in here and I hear brothers and sisters singing truth over me and to me, and it does something in me. It fuels the fire that I need to start worshiping and beholding God as well. And so the title of this morning's sermon is Behold, Sing, and Repeat. Behold, sing, and repeat, because yes, as we are filled by the Spirit, it should overflow into songs of thanksgiving. It should result of us being filled by, it's a result of being filled by the Holy Spirit, right? We come in here full of the Spirit, we, that should overflow into songs of thanksgiving. But also, but also, those songs are the fuel by which more beholding is going to now happen. And so as we sing to God and to one another, we are fanning into flame our brothers and sisters' desire to behold, to know, to experience God more. And why can I say that? Well, if we're singing the truth of God's word to one another, then that's how we are also being filled by the Spirit. If we're singing God's truth to one another, we are being filled by the Spirit, by one another's voices speaking and singing that truth into our lives. These are life-giving words that we are singing to one another. And that is why it is so important what we sing, all right? We really think what we sing is so important. And Joshua, along with the elders, I think have done a really good job and being a bit of a, a guard dog-like and protecting us against singing songs that are not either straight up scripture or just right from the truth from scripture, okay? It's so important what we're singing because if we are singing God's word and God's truth, that will help us behold and know him more. That will fan into flame the desire to behold him more. That will help one another be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, Paul gives a very similar command to sing. Again, another command to sing in Colossians 3.16 when he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing to one another must look like singing the truth of God's word to one another. 
Because that is what will teach us and admonish us and encourage us and unite us. And so we try very hard to make sure we're singing good songs. And listen, if sometime in the future a song comes up that you're just not sure if that really aligns with Scripture, please let us know that. We want to know that. We want to, to walk through that with you. We want to study that with you and see. And yeah, if it doesn't align with Scripture, we'll, we'll get rid of it. Again, we must be wise. We must make the best use of the time. We only have a, a limited time to sing together. We want to sing the best songs. We want to sing God's truth to one another. Because the songs we sing are a big part of how we are teaching God's word to one another. It's a big part of how we are beholding him more. Like, let's, let's be honest, it's really unlikely that you will be able to remember, word for word, any portion of a sermon that we preached this year. Likely, at the end of the year, you will not remember anything exactly of what we preached. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I've, I've kind of made peace with that. I'm okay with that, all right? But I bet at the end of the year, you could quote some of the songs we sing word for word. You see, this is why many pastors and theologians, they call our songs our take-home theology, right? Much like when we uh, have our preschoolers or a kid's ministry night, we send them home with something for the parents to, to kind of uh, know what they learned and to what scriptural truth they learned and all that good stuff. Our songs are our take-home theology, they help us know God and experience God more. They help us behold Him more. We will remember them, and they will be with us when the sermons are long forgotten. And we will have this scriptural truth in these songs in times of deep distress when we need them most. And so we will sing them when we are afraid. We will sing them when we are tempted with sin. We will sing them when we need to combat the work of the enemy. We will sing them when children are born. We will sing them when we put one another in the ground. We will sing them when we are thrown in prison. We will sing them in our homes. We will sing them to our kids. And we will sing them until Christ returns. And when he returns, I imagine we're going to have much better songs to sing for eternity. And so church, these, these last four years, God has been really, really, really good and gracious to us. He has. We don't, no one desires a day like this to really at all be about Franklin City Church or any individual here at all. God has been really, really good and gracious to us. And I do believe there are good and gracious uh, signs of, of health here in this church that not one person could take the credit for, only the Lord. But I also believe that there are areas that God is leading us to become healthier in. And one of these areas is our congregational singing. It's always interesting to hear what, what new people first experience when they, when they come into a gathering like this, right? One of, one of the things people often say is that uh, it seems like we use a lot of scripture in our gathering. And I usually take that as a compliment. All right? Praise God. Let's keep doing that, right? Let's use a lot of scripture. Another thing people notice is that we have a lot of kids, right? Evidence that our married couples are making the best use of their time, right? In the evenings, all right. Another thing people notice is that we are friendly, that, that we are welcoming to the outsider. And this is something we've, we've had to grow in a little bit, right? We want to, yes, pursue deep fellowship here, but we want to be hospitable and ready to welcome in more people into our fellowship. 
But church, I would love, and I, I think the Spirit is leading this way, this would be a really good sign of health for our church. If in a year or so from now, people started noticing that we are a church who really sings from the heart to God and to one another. I would love for us to be known as the singing church. And not just for the sake of the singing, but because this would be a sign of us beholding, being a beholding church. A church that is continuously being filled with the Spirit, so much so that it overflows week in and week out with hearts that want to sing praises to God out of gratitude and thanksgiving to Him, and that as we sing God's truth over and to one another, that God would be glorified and that our sin would be killed and that our faith would be strengthened and that we would take whatever ground the enemy still has in this place. May we see the importance of our singing and may we sing with our whole hearts. Now, I want to close, and the worship team can go ahead and start coming back up. We're going to give you an opportunity to sing. But I'm going to close with some really practical instructions from singing. These are from John Wesley. All right, so this is what John Wesley gave his people. And uh, I'm going to paraphrase some of these. But what Wesley wrote, he said, uh, These instructions are being given so that this part of divine worship may be more acceptable to God as well as more profitable to yourself and others. Be careful to observe these following directions. All right, he gave us five instructions to his people. He said, number one, sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up and you will find a blessing. All right, so listen, there will be times that you do not always like or prefer a song that we sing. This is bound to happen in a congregation of more than one pe person, right? Bound to happen. But don't let your preferences stand in the way of participating and obeying this command from God. It will be a blessing to you. Sing all. Join with the congregation in song. Second instruction, he said, was sing with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. <laughs> this is what John Wesley said. I love quoting other people. I wasn't saying that, all right? Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep, but lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard. And I understand I'm self-conscious about my voice. I would never want to be miked to sing at all. But listen, church, if you don't have the courage to sing in a room full of people who love you, I mean, I'm not sure you've got the courage it, it, it takes to be a Christian in the years to come. This is, this is not a, a, a huge intimidating barrier here. Let's get some courage and let's sing with courage. And, and I get it. I, I do not like the sound of my own voice. I cannot listen to any of these sermon recordings. It's just painful. I don't know how you guys do it. Uh, it's a really unbelievable, the grace of God that you can listen to this voice. And so I understand even singing, it's, I don't like to hear the sound of my own voice. And listen, if that's you, if you're not musically gifted, there's some wisdom in maybe sitting next to someone who can carry a tune who can sing and follow their lead. Submit yourself right to the congregation. Do what you can to sing with courage. 
and remind yourself that this isn't about you. And if, listen, I I have to remind myself this when I preach. If I am speaking God's word to you, then it is a glorious word. And I just need to get over myself and my insecurities. If I'm speaking God's word to you, if I'm singing God's word to you, it is a glorious word that can do a transformative work that has implications in the spiritual realm we can't even imagine. And so we need your voice in this choir. I believe a hundred people singing from the heart is way more of a weapon for the kingdom than a thousand people just kind of complacently mouthing words. Sing with courage. But number three, he then says, sing modestly. All right, so sing with courage, but let's not be obnoxious about it, all right? No one's got to stand up on a table and scream today, okay? That's not what we're looking for, all right? He says, sing modestly. Do not bawl so as to be heard above or distinct from the rest of the congregation so that you may not destroy the harmony, but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear, melodious sound. Okay? So sing with courage, but yeah, we don't need to sing obnoxiously, all right? Number four, sing in time. Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. Do not run before nor stay behind, but attend closely to the leading voices. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of this is getting uh, more skilled. We, need to, we need, probably need some training, all right? But, but do your best to sing in time. Uh, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say. Don't, don't clap in a re- weird offbeat. We're not ready for clapping. Listen, that'll be, that'll be next year, beholding God through clapping. We are not ready for that, all right? I'm just telling you, we're not ready. Okay, number five. We'll take baby steps here. Number five, above all, sing spiritually. All right, have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. Amen. Amen. Church, may we continue to behold God more and more as we sing together.